0: Happy Sabbath, good morning, nice to be here again, and um, I trust that the Lord in his kindness will bless us today because we need it so much. I would like to kneel just briefly uh, and have a prayer, and then I will share with you as time allows. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much that we can gather here in thy house on the Sabbath day. We want to thank you, Lord, that thou art a merciful God. I pray now that as we gather here, that the Holy Spirit will be here with us to illuminate to our minds the word. That Jesus from the most holy place will send to us his spirit. And that we as a people will be awake as never before. Realizing that we are on the very threshold of the last stage of this world's history and the soon coming of Christ. So I pray, dear Lord, as we open thy word, that thou lead God and bless us and that thou will give us the help that we need. And we ask it in Jesus' name for his sake, amen. Well, greetings to all of you, and I would like to share with you a few different things today. Um, I want to talk to you about witnessing for the truth, and I want to share with you some from the Word of God on the importance of faith. I would like before I begin here to read a statement. Wonder I would like to read here from page six fifty four in the book fifth volume of the testimonies. Page 654 in the fifth volume of the Testimonies, it says this. As the end draws near and the work of giving the last warning to the world extends, it becomes more important for those who accept present truth to have a clear understanding of the nature and influence of the Testimonies. Which God in his providence has linked with the third with the work of the third angel's message from its very rise. It says that it becomes more important for those who accept present truth to have a clear understanding of the nature and influence of the testimonies as the end draws near. Brothers and sisters, this these writings have been given to us in addition to the Word of God for our instruction in the last days, and they were given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And in this quote that I just read to you on page 654 in the fifth volume of the testimonies, it says, as the end draws near, the testimonies become even more important. They are not antiquated simply because they were written a 100 years ago. They now have more importance to us as we draw near to the end of time. Now, there's another statement I'd like to read to you here. Um, This is found on page 369. This is talking about the support of city missions, the support of city missions. In fact, this was a a letter that was written to a conference president. I'm just going to read you a sentence here. It says this. Let those who would follow Christ fully, let those who would follow Christ fully come up to the work. Let those who would follow Christ fully come up to the work even if it be over the heads of ministers and president. I'm going to read it once more. Let those who would follow Christ fully come up to the work, even if it be over the heads of ministers and president. Brothers and sisters, we have now come to a time in this world's history and the church of God where we cannot wait on man, We must look to God. This is not setting aside cooperation, etc. But we have come to a time as never before we were where we must look to God. Rather, excuse me, I maybe said it wrong. We must look to God rather than men, and uh, not look to man in the place of God. <clears throat> Now, I want to really, uh, I think you're all aware of this, but as never before, as never before, we need to be into the word and into the spirit of prophecy. We have got to have this illumination. In the, I want to read another statement here. This is uh, Testimonies to Ministers. It's a section here in encouraging the study of the books of Daniel Revelation, and it says this, Those who search this word should keep the mind clear. Those who search this word should keep the mind clear. Never should they indulge perverted appetite in eating or drinking, You know, we're also told by the same inspired author that as we draw near to the end of time that Satan's temptation to indulge appetite is going to become greater and more powerful and more difficult even to overcome because he knows that he can do serious jeopardy to the spiritual advancement of an individual if they are given over to any degree to gluttony. says, those who search this word should keep the mind clear. Never should they indulge perverted appetite in eating or drinking. If they do this, the brain will be confused. They will be unable to bear the strain of digging deep to find out the meanings of those things which relate to the closing scenes of this earth's history. That was page 114. Also, I have down here, I'm not going to open the book, but also I have the book here, and I'm going to relate one more quote in this category. I have a book here called uh, Councils on Diets and Foods, and it says this on page 187. It says, when the time draws near, when the time comes, rather, in the providence of God for the world to be tested upon the truths for that time, minds will be exercised by his spirit to search out the scriptures link after link, and they will do it even with fasting and prayer until every link in the scriptures, which immediately concerns the salvation of souls, will be made plain so that none need error. Page 187. So when the time comes in the providence of God for the world to be tested upon the truths for that time, and brothers and sisters, we are there. Everything points in the world and in the church both points to the fact that we are very close to the close of probation. The apostasy in the church, the lack of belief in the imminent coming of Christ, the worldly, worldliness, and what's going on in the world, we are there. We have no time to waste or to lose. It's a very serious ground which we're on. It doesn't matter who we are. We're in a real battle. But God has given us this information to encourage us and help us along. Let those who would follow Christ fully come up to the work, even if it be over the heads of ministers and president. I would urge anybody sitting in this congregation today to take the fifth volume of the testimonies and make it your goal to make your way through this book this coming, this, this coming year. It's a tremendous book that has so much information in it on last day events. <clears throat> I have a copy of the book, Great Controversy, here. I really like this book. I really like this edition of it. And, um, so in my, and I'll just tell, I'm going to just want to share with you some of the experiences that I've had in my work. In my work, I both do my regular corporating and canvassing, and, um, I also, um, uh, have done some prospecting for Bible studies, which I'm, will be following up on so forth. And, um, <clears throat> in fact, I went, uh, and helped a church and, uh, not quite a few doors, but, Brothers and sisters, it is absolutely amazing how things, how, what's going on out there. I'm seeing now in my own work an opening up of minds and also a closing of minds like I've never seen, on a level that I've never seen before. So what I do when I'm out, pros- uh, when I'm out prospecting for Bible studies, what I do is I take these little glow tracks, and I didn't get one in my hand, but I take a little glow track this size. It's from the Michigan Conference. And it's called BibleStudyOffer.com, and I walk up to the door, and I knock on the door, and then I step back a good space, and I, I'm looking right at the door, and as soon as that person comes to the door, I get eye, eye contact with them, and I look them right in the eye, and I'm as nice and friendly as I can be, and I ask them how they're doing. As soon as I get that answer, often I'll say, well, keep it up or some nice thing. But then I immediately reach the pamphlet out to them, and I would say, we're out giving away this brochure. It's an offer by Amazing Facts Christian Ministry for a free Bible course. We believe that Jesus coming is soon, and we're trying to encourage their p- people to read their Bibles to get ready for that. So I hand it to them just like that. And if they want to hear me, they'll listen to me. And if they don't, I'm on down the road. And uh, I'm going to only tell you pretty much the good experiences today. Uh, the reason I say that is because you must expect when you go out witnessing to be rejected. You must expect that. But the Bible says, let us go forth, therefore, without the camp, bearing his reproach. So anyway, <clears throat> I stopped at one house and uh, did my offer. And then I began, to, and as soon as I get a response from the person, if they want, I'll take their name uh, and then immediately after that, I pull out the book, Great Controversy, and I say we're also making available to anybody that wants it a tremendous book on famous Christians from the past. It covers famous Christians like John Knox, Martin Luther. It shows you how true the Bible is, and it details last-day events and shows you exactly what's going to happen before Jesus comes again. That's basically what I say about it, or kind of a little bit. But anyway, one lady, I was talking to her, and, and I, I said to her, I said, this book... Sh- Shows you why the reformers such as Martin Luther left the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church was not following the Bible and they realized in order to follow the Bible they had to leave the, leave the Catholic Church. She said, well, she said, I'm a Catholic. She said, but I'll read that book. Amen. Yeah. She said, I'll read that book. Another time I was walking down the street and there was two men at a Stanley steamer van. One man was inside trying to make a repair. The other one was on the sidewalk. I walked up to him I said, sir, I said, we're passing out this pamphlet. It's a brochure um, from Amazing Facts, or I'll say whatever, but Amazing Facts Ministry. We're offering a free Bible course. We believe that Jesus is coming as soon, and we're trying to encourage people to read their Bibles and get ready. He He said, I don't read the Bible. He said, I'm not a Christian. So I immediately said to him, I said, sir, did you know that in the Bible it says that Jesus wants you in heaven? He said, well, that's nice of him. So then I pulled out the Great Controversy book, and I told him what the Great Controversy book was about, how it proved to you how true the Bible was. It tells you the lives of famous Christians and explains to you in detail what's going to happen before Jesus comes and how to be ready, and he said, I will check that out, and he took the book, very gladly took the book. Yeah. I stopped in another place. There was a group of teenagers in a garage, probably six or eight of them in a garage. They were just hobnobbing and socializing, all sitting there. And I walked into the garage, and I began sharing with them. I did my introduction and and talked to them, and they talked back to me. They were real nice and friendly. And And I handed out several books to them. And when I was done, one of the teenage boys, he got up from his chair. He walked across in front of the group. He came over to me, and he hugged me, and he said, Thank you so much for coming today. The next day I was in another part of town and I was knocking doors and I heard a voice across the street and this young man said, Hey, do you remember me? It was that same boy that hugged me the day before. He said, This is where I live. He was out in the front yard. So I went over and I talked to him and I said, Well, can I meet your parents? So he took me to the door and his mother came to the door and she was just as dear as he was. She said, You know what? She said, I'm absolutely convicted that Jesus is coming soon. She said, I'm not ready. And she was just really reaching out for help, so I talked to her and gave her some advice. I left a book with her, and then when I left, they said, when are you going to come see us again? Yeah, that's something. I met another man. He was about 90% blind. He said, I can't read. He said, but I'll give this book to my family. A day or two later, I happened to come across the house where he lived. He was somewhere else when I first saw him. I came across the house where he lived. He said, my family was so glad to get that book in that Bible study course. One evening, I was at the laundromat doing, some, uh, doing my laundry, and the the, man, the owner was there, and I offered him a book he wasn't particularly interested, but he said, you know what? He said, if you leave some of these books here, he said, people will take them. He said, you just leave them. He said, people will take them. They'll be glad to get them. So I did. I left some books there. The next day, I was walked, or in the same neighborhood, and um, I came across a, a, a lady and her husband... And she said, I already got that book. She said, I was at the laundromat last night, and I already got that book. And she said, I already signed up for that Bible course. Isn't that something? Yeah. I met another man. He doesn't go to church anywhere, but every Sunday he and his wife worship in their home. She believes in wearing a dress. They're pretty conservative. He's read about the Jesuits and the Catholic Church. He talked to me for probably an hour. I shared with him the book, Great Controversy. And then Sabbath morning, uh, on my way to church, I went and spoke at the church where I had been, and I left them a a Bible readings for the home. I knocked on the door. No one was there, and then it was a real nice house. The lady peeked her head out the window from upstairs. She said, I apologize. She said, I've had a hard week. She was still in bed. I told her what the book Bible readings was about. She told me, she said, it was so good to meet you. It's amazing. I I, I met uh, another lady. <clears throat> this was about dark, and um, it was just about sundown. I went on the porch there, and she took the book and the brochure. And then we got to talking about health, so I said, I got a really good set of health books. I said, I think I can answer your question. She had a question about macular degeneration, so I got these books. She said, I really like those books. She said, I want to buy them. But she said, my checkbook is in my vehicle, and it, my vehicle is not here some circumstance where she didn't have it then. But she said, you come back in two days. She said, I'll buy those books. So I did, and she bought the books. But anyway, we got to talking about quite a few things. And then she made a comment, and when she made that comment, I don't remember what it was, but I said to myself, mm-hmm, I know exactly what she's going to tell me after that. She's going to tell me she talked to someone who was dead. Sure enough, she did. She had had this really good friend, and uh, she had helped her friend a lot. Any time of day or night, she'd call her. She'd go help this friend. Well, her friend died. Her friend died about a year later. She herself was in the hospital, and her dead friend walked into the hospital room, sat down beside her, and she put her hand on her neck like this, and she said, Patty, she said, you're going to be just fine. I told her, I said, Patty, did you know that in the Bible it says it is an abomination to talk to the dead? And then I gave her a Bible study off the top of my head what I knew, about how the dead sleep, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and how Saul had talked to uh, Samuel and he died because of that. And then I told her the story of Stephen Haskell. Have you ever read the story of Stephen Haskell meeting his wife after she died? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> One night, uh, some weeks after Stephen Haskell's wife died, he was missing her, laying in bed, missing her, and then he heard her voice. Her name was Mary. And then all at once she appeared before him and he wanted so badly just to reach out to her because he missed her so bad. But a voice said inside of him, he, it said, he said, the dead know not anything. So he knew that was not his wife. He knew it was a demon. He said, no, he rebuked it in the name of Jesus. And he said before that demon let that impersonation of his wife left, it turned back into its actual real, real demonic appearance. He said it was more horrible than any demonic picture or writing or anything i've ever seen he said it was just horrible but it was mad because he would not listen to it i told her that story so she said you know what she said i really like children she said one day an eight or ten year old child appeared in my home and she said it was playing around my home she said now i knew that was the devil and i rebuked it and she either said it either disappeared or left but before i left that night she said to me she said she said you have enlightened my mind she said, you've enlightened my mind. When I stopped by two days later, she said, I've decided to take that Bible course that you're offering. Brothers and sisters, you've got to just keep going. you got to keep going. I talked to another lady. I went up to a well-to-do farmhouse. And, you know, no offense, but typically in well-to-do homes, I don't get a real good reception. <clears throat> but I'll go and talk to them anyway. So this lady came to the door, and I got to talking to her. She said, yeah, she said, you know what? She said, I believe the end is near. She said, we're too busy. She said, I have friends who are not Christians. She says, I'm feeling a need to, to do a Bible study with my friends. So I really encouraged her and uh, left her a brochure and a book, and I got her name too. There was two ladies I met uh, very recently. Both of them were atheists. And you know what? I talk to them just like anybody else. I tell them, I say, did you know that Jesus wants you in heaven? I pulled out the book, Great Controversy, and I tell them about the book, Great Controversy, how it shows you how true the Bible is. And then I tell them how it, in cha- it has chapter 15. It tells all about the French Revolution. Both of those ladies took the Great Controversy. One was a teenage girl. She said, my family and I are all atheists. And another the one was a, an adult woman. But God is working out there. I met another man, an older man. Nazarene he doesn't know the Pope is Antichrist but he believes he's a false prophet and he's written a whole paper on the Catholic Church because he doesn't agree with him and when I shared the book Great Controversy with him he was very glad to get the book Great Controversy I met another old lady one morning Um, I told her you know I said we're offering this free Bible course and uh, we believe Jesus is coming soon we're trying to encourage people to read their Bibles and get ready She's, and then I told her about the book, Great Controversy. I said, this book will help you to understand the book of Revelation. She said, well, we're studying the book of Revelation in our church. And I looked right at her. I said, do you know who the beast in Revelation is? She just gave me a blank look. I said, this book will tell you exactly who the beast in Revelation is. That's something... Amazing what's out there. Brothers and sisters, we got to get out there and see the people wherever we can. When I go to gas stations, pump gas, whatever, I give away the book. I don't always say a whole lot about it. I probably told you the story about the young man who was at the gas pump across the aisle from me, and I handed him the book, and I said, Young man, I said, here's a gift for you. He took the book and looked at it for a moment. He said, What's this about? And I said, Well, this book is about famous Christians, what they went through. It shows you that our freedoms in America are going to be taken away. And it proved this book proves to you that this world is in a great controversy between God and the devil, and it shows you how you can be on the right side. He said, thank you so much. He said, I've been through a lot of trouble in my life very recently, and he said, I take this book as a sign. And he drove off. Just this week, on Wednesday or Thursday, anyway, I met a lady, and usually when I sell my product, I don't show the women because typically they want their husbands to be there anyway. Once in a while they'll buy without their husband, but anyway, I knew in this case, or I, my hunch was in this case, this lady's not going to buy without her husband, but she said to me, she said, come on in. She said, I'll look at what you have to sell. So I went in there and then we got to talking. It, this happened to be an Amish family and, um, we got to talking. And she really opened up to me. She said, you know, she said there's going a tremendous shaking going on in the Amish church. Brothers and sisters, it's going on everywhere. And she told about how their family's listening to CDs, and they're not allowed to do that, but the bishops won't let them do that. And, uh, and, and I could tell you more. I'm not going to take much more time. But anyway, she said, it's amazing you stopped here today. I left her great controversy steps to Christ. Came back, her husband, uh, I showed her husband what I had to sell and he bought. And I told him, I said, you know what? I said, Jesus wants you in heaven. I said, he died for you on the cross. They gave me the names of three other families. I was able to connect, I was able to connect with two of them so far. The one family I spent about an hour and a half with them in their home. They're thinking, in fact, they're up for, uh, disfellowshipping in their church here in a few weeks if they don't straighten up. The other family I tried twice, and both times there was four uh, young boys there, an average of 12, 10, 14 years old. One night their father wasn't home. I tried them again. The next night their father wasn't home, but I had a real nice visit with them. I saw a big desire of ages on the shelf. I pulled it off, and I showed them a quote from page 258, and I read it to them. The boys just gathered around me. They listened to it. They were all ears. I gave them a book, Great Controversy. Well, this family, from what the other family told me, is the bishops are, are you know, what's actually happening with a, to a great degree in the Amish is the bishops are actu- actually trying to prevent them from reading the Bible, at least too much. And as this man's mother, as it was reported to me, he told him, he said, she said, you know what, she said you can read the Bible too much, and he said to his mother, he said, show that to me in the Bible. <laughs> well, on their dining room table... The wife, I never met the wife or husband yet, but God willing I will. But on the dining room table of their, that was there, the wife had written a sh- very short poem. And it was big letters. You could read it real easily. And I looked at that and I read it out loud. And I said, I like that. And it went something like this. The whole of God's word is given us to explore. Let not man's reasoning Bar any door the whole of God's word is given us to explore Let not man's reasoning bar any door Tell you what there's some people on the way of the kingdom and they're realizing that you can't follow man You must follow Christ and you must follow his word I want to talk to you a little bit about faith You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. This is a very pivotal statement. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I have a friend that calls me every few weeks. He lives down in West Virginia. He likes to talk to me. and Of course, I like to talk to him. And um, he's always sharing with me some idea or quote or whatever, but often when we have visited over the last year or so, he has referred me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and in his opinion, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he believes is the most important chapter in the Bible, and here's why he believes that, and I won't argue with him, but here's why he believes that, because in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, It says something like this. It says, Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of of unrighteousness. And it says, And for this, and it says that, I'm trying to think how it goes, but anyway, it says, For this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they uh, might be damned, who believe not the truth, but had pleasure and unrighteousness. In other words, it says in there, they received not the love of the truth. They had pleasure and unrighteousness. And this is an extremely important concept. Brothers and sisters, we must love the truth above our pocketbook, our reputation, our life, anything. We must love the truth. And the Bible says, the reason people are deceived at the end of time is because they did not receive the love of of the truth. You know, I met another lady. She said, you know what? She said, I've read the Bible through seven times. She said, I'm starting on my eighth time. She said, the first few times she said were really difficult. She says, now I'm in love with the Bible. And it reminded me what I heard someone else say one time. They said, when you first start reading the Bible, it's like medicine, but the more you read it, it becomes sweeter than the honeycomb. Yeah. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to read your Bibles. I urge you to read... Fifth volume of the Testimonies, Great Controversy, Desire of Ages, Christ's Object Lessons. Read these books as much time as you have and soak your minds with them because we need to have an experience with Christ in these last days. We've got to have an experience. I feel the need of a deeper experience. Now, there's a book I have at home. It is, um, by, um, E.J. Wagner. And by the way, as you know, in, the, in Testimonies of the Ministers, or maybe you might know, but in Testimonies of Ministers, page 90 and 91 in there, it says that the Lord sent a most precious message to his people through Jones and Wagner. It taught the people to receive the righteousness of Christ, which is made manifest in obedience to all the commandments of God. It's a beautiful quote. But I've got this book at home. It's by E.J. Wagner. It's on uh, the book of Galatians. It's a commentary on the book of Galatians. And in that book, in chapter two, he begins chapter two by making this comment, and I'll convey it to you basically as it's stated. He says, in, in his comments, he says, if we will thoroughly learn the book of Galatians, we will find a wide door open to the entire rest of the Bible. And then he went on to explain that once you really get a grasp of one scripture, That scripture will help you as you go and explore the rest of the Bible and study the rest of the Bible. So he said, once you've really learned the book of Galatians, you will have opened a wide door to the entire rest of the Bible. Very interesting. You know what I believe about his comment? I believe about his comment that that's exactly true, but I believe that that would apply to any book in the Bible. You can take the book of Revelation, take the book of 1 Peter, you can take the book of John, and if you thoroughly learn those scriptures, it will open a wide door to the rest of the Bible. I have a suggestion for you that there is a verse in Second Peter chapter 1 that I believe if you will grasp that truth, you will have opened a wide door into the entire Bible. And that verse is this, Second Peter chapter 1 verse 4, it says, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, that is the nature of God, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That statement, brothers and sisters, applies to every promise in Scripture. Peter says that the promises in Scripture will make us partakers of the divine nature. Once you get that concept in your mind, you have opened a wide door to the entire Bible. So every time you come across a promise, you see, brothers and sisters, the Bible is not only a book of truth, it is a living, divine book. There's power in it. It's not only a statement of truth, it is vital life from God that's in his word. There's redeeming power in those promises whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. I have here with me, and I want to read you a statement. I apologize, I don't have my bifocals today. This is a little book called Lessons on Faith. It's a compilation of articles by A.T. Jones and E.J. Wagner. It's an absolutely tremendous book explaining the Bible on the subject of faith. One of the articles in here in passing, A.T. Jones mentions a comment that he got or a statement that he got from the writings of the Spirit of Prophecy, Ellen White, and he just mentions it in passing. And so I decide to look that comment up, and I'm going to read to you just part of that comment to give you an understanding of the importance of this subject. It says, at 9 o'clock, I attended a meeting of the students in the school chapel. About 80 were present, and the room was full. An hour was occupied in reading and in talking to them about the necessity of their understanding how to exercise faith. An hour was occupied in reading and in talking to them about the necessity of their understanding how to exercise faith. This is the science of the gospel. The scripture declares, quote, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Then this comment comes after that. It says this, the knowledge of what the scripture means The knowledge of what the Scripture means when urging upon us the necessity of cultivating faith is more essential than any other knowledge that can be acquired. Amazing, isn't it? The knowledge of what the Scripture means when urging upon us the necessity of cultivating faith is more essential than any other knowledge that can be acquired. We suffer much trouble and grief because of our unbelief and our ignorance of how to exercise faith. We must break through the clouds of unbelief. We can have a healthy Christian experience. I'm sorry. We cannot have a healthy Christian experience. We cannot obey the gospel unto salvation until the science of faith is better understood and until more faith is exercised. There can be no perfection of Christian character without that faith that works by love and purifies the soul. Review and Herald, October 18, 1898. The knowledge of what the scripture means when urging upon us the necessity of cultivating faith is more essential than any other knowledge that can be acquired. Mm, how's your faith? You know what Paul told the Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians, I think it's chapter one. He says, your faith groweth exceedingly. Did you know that your faith can grow exceedingly fast? But brothers and sisters, in order for our faith to grow, we must bring it in contact with this living book, the Bible. This holy book, this divine book, there's power in that book that will build our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The Bible itself will give you faith, okay? Remember remember when the, the disciples said on one occasion, they said, Lord, increase our faith you know what, I read that recently, and I thought, what a fantastic prayer. So I've been praying, Lord, increase my faith. I want to look at the, well, a little bit at what the Bible says about exercising faith. If you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, <clears throat> chapter 11. The book of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, I'm reading from the King James Version. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. It says, by faith Enoch was what? Hmm. That he should not see what? Death. So translation means that you go without seeing death to heaven. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he what? Pleased God. It says before his translation, before he was glorified, he had this testimony that he pleased God. There are people who are telling us today in theological circles that it is not possible to please God. They are setting their own opinions above and against the plainest statements in Scripture. For before he... he, was translated, the Bible says he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now, in the next verse, Paul details very simply how to exercise faith. How to exercise faith. And he says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he, what? Is, that he exists. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You know, last quarter we studied the book of Galatians. Or we tried to. Um, It's one of the more challenging books of the Bible as far as Comprehending it, but it is an absolutely tremendous statement on righteousness by faith and the Christian experience. It's absolutely tremendous. In Galatians chapter 3, it says, Paul says, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It's verse 11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident. For the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. When you read the book, Great Controversy, I believe it's in chapter 7, Ellen White talks about Luther's journey to Rome. At that time, he was still a loyal son of the Catholic Church. He made it journey to Rome because he wanted to visit it. When he got to the outskirts of the city, he bowed down and he said, Holy Rome, I salute thee. Well, when he got into the city, he was shocked with the iniquity in, in Rome. And in fact, she quotes him in the book, Great Controversy, as saying, If there is a hell, Rome is built over it because it is an abyss from which, from whence issues every kind of sin He was shocked at what he found in Rome. Iniquity among the leaders and so forth. He was still a loyal son of the Catholic Church, and the Pope had promised an indulgence. By the way, did you know that the Catholic Church is still handing out indulgences? From what Walter Weiss said on one of his presentations, the Pope sometime back offered indulgences to anybody who would follow him on Twitter. They're still offering indulgences. In other words, that you can be saved by your own works. But the Pope had offered an indulgence for anyone who would climb Pilate's staircase. At least they claimed it was Pilate's staircase, the staircase that Christ had ascended or descended during his trial. So Luther one day is devoutly climbing these steps. And God spoke to him. And what God said to him is what God had already written by Paul just Romans 17, the just shall live by faith. God thundered that to him. Now, if it was audible or not, I don't know, but Luther knew at that moment that the Almighty God had spoken to him, the just shall live by faith. Not dependence on yourself, but by dependence upon me. Luther was ashamed of himself for his actions at that moment. He got up, he hurried out of there, and the book Great Controversy quotes on that afterwards, and it says, Luther realized as never before the necessity for constant f- faith and constant dependence on the merits of Christ. If you would, I'd like for you to turn to the book of Matthew for a moment. i want going to look at a story here. Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. If you start there with verse 5, Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. Are you there? And when Jesus entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. So here's a man, a centurion. He said, My servant is grievously tormented and I need him healed. And Jesus said, Well, I'll come. I'll come. Verse 8. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof. But speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. Went verse 10, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. Now, what what. What was the faith the centurion had? It's right there in verse 8. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. You know, one of the beauties about the Sabbath is that it reminds us of the creation, the first week of this world's history, and the power of God to speak and to create. You know, during the, the creation week, the Lord not only made this earth, he made the moon and the sun. The Bible says it very plainly. The sun, don't they say the sun's about a million times bigger than this plant, than the, world, the earth? <clears throat> How long does it take the Almighty to get something done? Here's my theory. He could have created the whole earth in one second if he wanted to. But out of kindness to man, he took a whole week to do it, so man would have time to work and then time to rest. Isn't that right? Brothers and sisters, think about this. When Jesus comes back again, we don't know how many people they are going to be raised out of their graves, but it will be in the multitude, hundreds of millions. I mean, there was 100 million people put to death by the Catholic Church in the Dark Ages. There's been many martyrs. There's been you know, many uh, during the years who believed in Christ, but let's say it's going to be hundreds of millions. Christ is going to raise them out of their graves, and he's going to give them all immortality. Even if they've turned to absolute dust, he's going to recreate them. He's got the pattern of it all, and he's going to give them back their character and their mind and accept whatever they weren't, wherever they weren't pretty, they'll be made pretty, and wherever, you know, all the blemishes are going to be gone. Paul says he's going to do that in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. This is amazing power and intelligence. Lord, increase our faith. Right? So the centurion said to Jesus, he said, Lord, he said, Lord, you don't need to come under my roof. He said, Speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. I tell men what to do. I'm just a man, and they do it. You're God. You can tell. The angels or the spirit, however they get it done, and they can do it. In the book of Galatians, Paul talks about the fact that Abraham is a model for us in faith. He says, so then, in chapter 3, he says, so then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Um, By the way, I just want to insert a comment here, and then I'll go on with my thought. I, myself, have become very interested in the book of Galatians because I I crave the the knowledge that's in there and I've been really pouring through that book. And let me just share with you something that will happen. If you'll take a passage of Scripture, of course, I read other Scriptures just to keep in touch with them, but if you'll take a passage of Scripture and read that passage over and over again, you will start sensing a difference in your faith. It will start doing something to your Christian experience. It will build your faith. I've been doing it now for almost four months. And I'm not, just for your encouragement, when I was driving to church this morning, I repeated the book to myself. I mean, if you read, I've got a very dull brain. I promise you I have a dull brain, but I have found if I go over something enough, it'll stick in my head. And then once you have things in your mind, then you can really start studying them. But Paul says in Hebrews, or Galatians chapter three, he says, so then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. I'm going to try and explain just a couple points to you here. But if you go to Romans chapter 4, and Paul is talking about this, the experience of Abraham and, and Sarah, okay? And they're getting pretty old, and God comes along. He says, you're going to have a baby. Now, the reason this story is told is not that we're particularly concerned about having babies. The reason this story is told is because we need to understand the power of God to save the soul from sin, Okay? But God came along. In fact, this was a very important baby because this baby would be the father eventually through generations to come of the Messiah. Very important child. But Abraham's pushing 100. Abraham, or Sarah's pushing 90. And they're past that stage. God came along and said, you're going to have a baby. Huh. They kind of laughed. Oh, really? Yeah, they got over that. <clears throat> Abraham did come to the point where he believed. In Romans chapter 4, Paul says this. He says, Abraham did not consider now his, his own body now dead, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. Now, I want you to think of that text. It says, I think it's verse 19. It says, and being fully persuaded... That's it, no doubt. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform and therefore was imputed to him for righteousness. Now God came along and he told Abraham, he made the covenant with him and he gave it to him the promise and, and the thing just wasn't coming through. I mean, like if we're going to have a baby, this thing isn't happening and they start getting worried about it. And so Sarah said, you know what, uh, nothing's happening here. I think we need to take plan B because God is really in trouble. I'm spinning on the story, but I'm not wrong. I'm, you know, this is accurate. So she said, you take my handmaid, this Egyptian slave. She said, and you have a baby by her and that's going to be my son. So that happened. This little baby's born and then the two women get fighting. By the way, there's all kinds of stories in the Bible that you don't do polygamy. Uh, you know, when man wanted to do it, God said, okay, try it out. See how you get along. Well, in this home, there was fighting. And finally, it got so bad that um, Abraham had to send them both off. But here's the point I want to observe with you here. Abraham depended on the flesh and not on God to fulfill his promise. And all he came up with was sin. It's wrong to be married to two women. And brothers and sisters, when you and I depend upon anything that we merely can do of ourselves and do not depend upon God, all is we are going to produce is sin. But the Bible says the just shall live by faith. As long as we are trusting in the word of God to accomplish what the word of God has said it will do, God will deliver us from the power of sin. I know you've got to wrap your mind around a little bit. Keep studying. Keep thinking. But the Lord will give you you and I the experience. I want to make an observation from the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians, when it talks about righteousness and justification, is not only talking about pardon and forgiveness. The book of Galatians is also talking about the power of God to give you victory over sin in your life. And this could be repeated uh, uh, many times in the book. Like in uh, chapter 1, verse 4, it says, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. When Paul says he gave himself for our sins, he's referring to the cross. And because of the cross, he delivers us from the power of sin in this present evil world. If you go, and and this is repeated a number of times, but I'll observe a couple things in chapter 3, where Paul points out that the power comes from the cross and the power that comes from the cross is the Spirit of God <clears throat> and the Spirit of God comes to all who believe in the promise. So the power for the Christian life, like Paul says, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Brothers and sisters, the world is, in the pool of the world, the principle of sin is so powerful that only Jesus Christ can overcome it. But through the cross of Christ, the world, we can be crucified unto the world and the world unto us. In other words, we are immune from its controlling power in our life. But in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, O foolish Galatians who hath bewitched you, that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. So he's talking in verse 1 about Jesus being crucified. And by the way, brothers and sisters, one of the favorite, and I already said this, but one of the favorite things I have when I talk to people is, is I tell them, I say, you know, Jesus wants you in heaven. Jesus died for you. You know, they need to hear that. And you know, another thing I like to say to them when they get a book from me, I say to them, I say, I pray God that I will meet you in heaven. I pray God that I will meet you in heaven. Shouldn't we feel that way about the lost? Shouldn't we feel that way about one another? I pray God that I will meet you in heaven. People need to hear those things. But if you look at verses 1 and 2 in the book of Galatians, Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who have bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Verse 2. This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Look, brothers and sisters. When you're looking at the book of Galatians, there's two laws presented. The moral law and the ceremonial law. Okay? The ceremonial was simply a sketch of the plan of salvation that explained the plan of salvation, but it ended at the cross, but the moral law always exists. It's always enforced. Let me tell you something about both laws. Neither of them can save you. There was a rabbi, and A.T. Jones quotes in his book, Jehuda Hakadosh, something like that, and he made this comment. He said that circumcision is equal to all the laws of God. In fact, it's so great that without circumcision, God could not have created the heavens and the earth. Well, that statement is insane for number one because it has no reading in Scripture, but that shows you how these Judaizing teachers were exalting circumcision as the means of salvation. Oh, yeah, they gave consent that you have to believe in Jesus, but you had to add something else to it in order for Jesus to really save you. And just like with Abraham and Sarah, when you start adding your own works merely to change yourself, you're only going to end up with sin. We, it, it is by faith. We must trust in Christ by faith. All right? Now, when we trust in Christ by faith, he will give us the victory over sin. But Anyway, I'm going to repeat this idea again. So you have the cross. The power comes from the cross. The power that comes from the cross is the spirit of God and the spirit of god comes to all who believe the promises of god this is repeated throughout scripture and uh, and all let me just quote the two passages in in galatians 3 and then there's also there's it's in other places too revelation 5 and so forth but Paul says in Galatians 3.1, he says, O foolish Galatians who have bewitched you, that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you. In other words, he's saying, how in the world can you think that it's okay for you to go on disobeying the moral law when Jesus Christ has died for your sins? And then he says in verse 2, he says, This only would I learn of you. This is such a defining statement in the book of Galatians. He says, This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. I'm going to say something here. Try and wrap your mind around it. A false gospel teaches us that we must obey the law in order to become righteous. I don't care what law it is. A false gospel teaches us that we must obey the law in order to become righteous. The true gospel teaches us that we must have faith in Christ in order to become righteous. And Jesus will not only forgive you of your sins, he will make you righteous. And as long as you are trusting in him by faith, he will give you victory over sin. Galatians chapter 3 I think it's verse 14 and 15. He says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. He became a curse on the cross for us. Aren't you thankful for Christ? You know, every day when I pray, I thank Jesus three times that he died for me on the cross. Let me tell you something. I need it. I need it. I would have absolutely no hope of eternal life if Jesus had not died for me on the cross. He took the hit. He took the guilt, and he took the death of my sins. I have no hope without him. Hmm, None. But Paul says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Then he says in the next verse, I think it's verse 15, he says that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Here again you have it. The cross, the death, the death, the curse that Christ suffered for us, then the Spirit comes, and the Spirit comes to all who believe the promises. So in order to receive the benefit of the power of the cross, we must believe the promises in God's word. The word promise is mentioned eight times in Galatians chapter 3 and two times in Galatians chapter 4. Ten times. And then, of course, there's other allusions to it, too. We must take this word and believe it. Okay? Now, Paul says... He says, for brethren, you've been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. In other words, he's saying, look, now that you've been liberated by Christ, don't take this as a license that you can go on sinning. Right? In fact, he says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 17, um, he says, um, but if while... We seek to be justified by Christ. We ourselves also are found sinners. Is therefore Christ the minister of sin? He says, God forbid. The gospel that God is giving us is the power of Christ, and as long as we trust in him by faith, he will give it to us. Now, here's some prayers we can pray. Lord, increase our faith. Right? That's right in the Bible. Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Hmm. You know what, brothers and sisters, we have it is this this message of righteousness by faith is a wonderful message, and we need to grasp it because it is going to bring into our experience the very character of Christ. You know what Galatians 2.20 says? Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. During Sabbath school class, when we were talking about the Sabbath, I felt conviction in my own heart when we were talking about the Sabbath. You know what, brothers and sisters? We have got to keep the Sabbath by faith in Christ. And if we keep the Sabbath by faith in Christ, we're going to keep all the other commandments of God. I just want to encourage you a little bit. I'm going to say this very, very gently but i do have a concern and please you know you can examine this out but let's try and figure out other ways of communicating with others about things for sale in church just i mean i'm please i take this very gently i'm not saying this at all, you know please but i just think we need to maybe maybe we get emails phone numbers or whatever communicate around we just want to be careful i remember once going into a church and they had in a bulletin uh, washer and, and dryer for sale okay and I remember another time going into a church, and the brother had uh, concordances in, on the table in the back for sale. See, here, here's the point of the Sabbath. And it's just like at Mount Sinai. You know, around Mount Sinai, God put this border, and he said, You know what? Don't cross this border, or you're totally in trouble. Okay? The Sabbath is a sacred border around us that we may worship our God. And the devil is trying to make little inroads to get us to go all the way. Do Do you see what I'm saying? Brothers and sisters, there has been for years a wrong theology in Adventism, which has led to apostasy in our institutions. It makes me very concerned as I see the apostasy in our institutions. One of our main universities in North America just recently organized a support group for gays, lesbians, and transgenders. That's public information. The same university has a particular section of their dorm. I know this for a fact because my cousin lives in that community for years. It has a particular section of their dorm for homosexuals. Brothers and sisters, we have got to wake up and realize that Christ will make us righteous by faith. He will give us victory over sin. And Jesus says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Yeah, so may God help us. Pray for me. I'm praying for you. But Jesus will give us the victory. I'm going to share with you one other thought. Mm-hmm. There's so much I'd like to share. but Let me just share this with you. As we get near to the end of time, Satan is going to be an artist at putting shame on those who stand for the truth. And he is going to make the wrong look right and the right look wrong. Satan is going to be an artist at putting shame on those who believe the truth. And he's also going to make the wrong side look like the winning side. When they surround the city after the millennium, he's going to make the wrong side look like the winning side. Brothers and sisters, it's all a lie. We have got to realize that in order to experience righteousness by faith, we have got to get into the word and be free from the control of man. God has instituted organization and leadership in his church. Yes, but as soon as someone steps outside the word of God, they have no more authority from God, and we are not to follow them. And if we do follow them, like Jesus said, how can you believe which receive honor one of another? What is it, John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43, where the Bible says that among the Pharisees and rulers, many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Even within our own beloved church, there is a drift to put shame on those who believe the truth. But if we will drink in from Christ... We will be like Paul who said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. I love you all. I pray that I will meet you in heaven. And pray for me. I'm in a battle. But you know what I am learning more than ever before? Is that if when I'm attacked by Satan, I can depend on those promises. When I'm tempted by temptation, I think of the text in Galatians 5. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Keep putting your mind on those promises. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Can I urge this church to get a whole bunch of these books and pump them out? Brothers and sisters, there are people craving for them. My friend Ron Goss, I'll tell you this real quick and then I will be done. He went to the bank, took one of these, he had to get a notary done. He went to the bank, took one of these with him, and he laid it down. And then when the notary was done, he... Showed it to the lady. She said, I already got that book. She sent a friend of mine. I think she went to the Baptist church in the area. She said, a friend of mine from the Baptist church gave it to me, and she said, this book is a must-read. There's people out there reading these books. Yeah. So get, let's get them out. Let's do all we can. You can say, here's a gift. You can tell them a little bit. But if we're zealous and enthusiastic and we have the love of God in our hearts and we pray, God's angels will go before us. I'm seeing it more than ever before. So, God bless you. And um, I pray that we will meet again.